Welcome to another installment of Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. This is the channel that compares what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. All right, what we're going to do today, we are going to head over to Venue Church, and we're going to listen to Tavner Smith, and this is a fellow who is a, uh, a disciple of Stephen Furtick. And uh, my best guess is that uh, he paid for the privilege, you know. So, uh, you know, he, he's one of these guys who, very ambitious, created a seeker-driven church uh, and uh, venue church, and he cannot rightly handle a biblical text to save his life. Uh, he's, uh, I mean, if he were a life coach, he would be worse than mediocre. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, he doesn't show any ability to rightly handle scripture, which, by the way, is one of the requirements of being a pastor. Uh, pastors are to be able to you know, proclaim and defend the faith once delivered to the saints. They are to be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and rightly refute and rebuke those who contradict it. You know, things like this. And uh, Tavner, no, he's, he's really about entertainment and motivation speaking and stuff like this. And so you can always tell that, uh, you know, when you listen to a sermon of his, just how absolutely bonker surfacey he is, and he shows no skill whatsoever in rightly handling the biblical text. As a result of it, he doesn't properly distinguish between God's law and the gospel, and he's clueless about the fact that the scriptures are about Jesus, and that in major stories like the story of the Exodus, that that is a type and shadow pointing to Christ, pointing to Christ. You, you, you see what I'm saying? It's So he, he doesn't understand that at all, but what we're going to do is we're going to uh, preview uh, part of a sermon. Now, we're going to change his pitch and warp it up a little bit because he's another one of these guys being a disciple of Stephen Furtick. He thinks that he's above the laws of fair use. And so for the purpose of copyright transmogrification, uh, even though I am going to be critiquing him, which clearly is protected, under uh, fair use, we're going to warp him up a little bit, but I'm going to keep him at normal speed. And this is one of those ones where what I'm going to, rather than just debunking him and showing you what the biblical text says, I'm going to, I haven't prepared ahead of time a lot of where I'm going to go, and I'm going to try to explain my thinking processes as I review somebody like this, because if you follow these thinking processes, it doesn't matter if it's Tavner Smith or the next guy who's the most popular person ever, and everyone in the seeker-driven, entertaining churches. They love the, they love this. You, you'll be able to spot the phony balonies. You, you get the idea. So let's do this. Let's uh, whirl up the desktop and uh, we are going to head over to Venue Church. Uh, he's just finished praying. And the name of the um, sermon series is Taking the, uh, uh, sorry, Until Heaven, Until Earth Looks Like Heaven. Hang on a second here. You, you smell that? Yeah. That smells like a 
false eschatology. Yeah, so until earth. It, this this is kind of the stuff that you get from Bethel and places like this. We've got to pull heaven, heaven to earth. And, and he'll tell you things like, you, God has called you to be a world changer. Oh, you sit there and you go, I know, because <laughs> I'm so important. I love this message. It makes me feel so warm and ooey-gooey about myself. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm going to a church where the pastor recognizes how important I am. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, <clears throat> those are messages from the devil, not from Christ. Christ calls you to repent of your sins and be forgiven in him. To humble yourself, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. But guys like this, uh, you know, Tavner Smith, they think that uh, Christianity is rather than go and make disciples, it's go and make a difference. No, it's make disciples. And uh, be, making disciples requires us to follow a curriculum. You know, I'm just saying. Could you imagine, like, if you had, you know, in when you were getting your bachelor's degree, you know, and you were required to take a science course. And so maybe, the, the you know, for your general ed, you were required to take a class on physics. So you get there and the professor says, you know, <sighs> physics is so boring. It's so exacting, and there's so much math, and it seems really disciplined, and we really need to just loosen up. And so instead, what we're going to do here, rather than study physics, because, you know, I, I, we don't want to be irrelevant, and physics is irrelevant. What we're going to do instead is we're going to learn how to make uh, videos go viral on TikTok. And everyone goes, oh, really? Oh, man, I'm going to have viral videos on TikTok. It's the best thing. And it's like, and somebody raises their hand goes, excuse Excuse me, um, we're supposed to be learning physics here? <laughs> oh, you're just such a hater. Oh, you're so closed-minded. You're so intolerant. Yeah, that, that's, what, that's how people treat me when I sit there and go, we're supposed to be learning God's word rightly. <laughs> uh, we're not supposed to be following innovators and people like this. And, and again, Tavner, he, he shows... No skill, no discipline whatsoever. This is like the uh, the uh, <clears throat> the sermon equivalent of a TikTok video. It it may be entertaining, and you know, and and you know, there may be some self help things that you can pick up along the way, but rightly handling God's word, yeah, no. <laughs> Oh, honey, no, no, no. You don't want to be listening to this guy. So, all right, <laughs> let's take a look at uh, taking the leap. And uh, wait, do you see, you know, wh where the theo this theology is coming from? Here we Amen. go. Amen. Exodus chapter 8. Always a bad sign. Uh, if the sermon series is in its itself on the Exodus, and that you know, and it begins in Exodus one, and you know, and now we're like into week six or seven, and we're now to uh, chapter eight, that's a bad sign. If in the middle of your sermon series you just parachute into Exodus eight, which is in the middle of the ten plagues. You have no no bearing whatsoever. So think of it this way. Uh, you know, if you were to, you know, go back to our three primary rules for sound biblical exegesis, they are context, context, and context. We are jumping into the middle of a historical narrative out of context. Bad sign. I'm going to read quick. It's 15 verses. It says, then the... Oh, no! 15 whole verses! Oh, I better read them quick, otherwise... The folks in my church, they're going to walk out the door because it's so irrelevant. That's bad sign number two. Okay. 
Uh, you know, you'll know when I look at the sermon, he preaches for 31 minutes, 31 minutes. You have plenty of time to read 15 verses. In fact, 15 verses, you're probably going to need more if you're going to rightly handle the biblical text and point us to Christ. Uh, so, you know, so bad side number two, you're in a church where they need to apologize for reading, you know, 15 verses. <laughs> Have you seen how big the Bible is? Okay, this isn't even a large print edition. All right, yeah, this is an old analog Bible. It's kind of like having vinyl records. Uh, but uh, there are 66 books in here and <laughs> lots and lots of words. Words, words. And, and the job of a pastor is to what? Preach the word. Just saying, you know, don't believe me? Read 2 Timothy 4. Preach the word in season and out of season, but 15 verses. Uh, we haven't even got any, anywhere near what we need to do in this episode of Fighting for the Faith. And already we're, we're way off the rails. Run. Already you know you have enough. Run. The Lord said to Moses, go back to Pharaoh and announce to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so they can worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs across your entire land. The Nile River will swarm with frogs. This is one of 10 plagues. One of 10. They will come up out of the river and into your palace, even into your bedroom and onto your bed. And they will enter the houses of your officials and your people. They will even jump into your ovens and your kneading bowls. Frogs will jump on you, your people, and all of your officials. Then the Lord says to Moses, tell Aaron, raise the staff in your hand over all the rivers, canals, ponds of Egypt, and bring up frogs over the land. And Aaron raised his hand over the waters of Egypt, and frogs came up and covered the whole land. Now notice, you have no context. You have no idea what's going on here. And he's just jumping into the middle of it. And I would argue, based upon the fact that I know a little bit more what's coming in the sermon, that the, his main theological point is from one of the goofiest songs to ever exist within the visible church. The name of it is One More Night with the Frogs. Give me one more night. Give me one more night. Give me one more night with them frogs. All right, okay. And it's just, talk about an adventure in missing the point. Alright, yeah, and let's let's listen to just a little bit of it, shall we? Just give me one more night. Give me one more night. Give me one more night with them frogs. <clears throat> totally missing the point. All right. And so the way it goes is, is that, you know, there you have some difficulty in your life. You know, maybe you're in a bad relationship and, uh, and uh, your, your, your spouse or your significant other is, is, um, is not really encouraging you. And, and, and they may even be like, you know, a, a negative influence in your life. And the Lord is supposed to have given you a vision, a vision that, you, you know, a promise of a better future. I mean, you know, Jeremiah 29 and all, you know, you know, <laughs> I, sorry, I'm just 
channeling my inner huckster here. And uh, and so there, you know, the Lord has promised you a promised land, and uh, and you've decided just give me one more night with the frogs. You're, you're putting up with you know with like second best in your life when God wants to give you so much more. <laughs> That's not what this is about, okay? So let's let's do this. All right. So uh, told you I haven't prepared too much ahead of time. In order to rightly understand what's going on here, you're gonna have to roll back into the bigger context of Exodus, and you'll note that in the opening verses of uh, Exodus, uh, you know this is after the monumental life. Of Joseph, the son of Israel, the son, uh, you know, his uh, Jacob, that that fellow. I mean, this is a fellow sold into slavery, falsely accused of sexual harassment in the workplace. Yeah, yeah Joseph is. Uh, I think in human history, his account is like one of the first recorded instances of sexual harassment. Yeah, he 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 rebuffs the woman who is uh, sexually harassing and making advances at him, who happens to be the wife of his boss. And, uh, and he, you know, and so she totally lies about him and says that he's the one making the moves. He spends 13 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. God miraculously brings him out of prison and makes him second in command of all of Egypt. It's an amazing story. And Joseph's life is a type and shadow that points us to the life of Christ. It really does. Now, when you'll note then that God uses Joseph for the purpose of saving the whole world. Hmm. Okay, saving the whole world. Yeah, he does. And uh, and so saves them from famine. And then at the end of it, you know, Joseph ends up dying and the people of Israel have moved to Egypt. Everybody has moved from Canaan. They're now in Egypt and the, and the Egyptians end up enslaving the Hebrews. And so, and we pick up in the story of the Exodus, uh, the, the, you know, the, the people of God have been enslaved by Pharaoh. And we'll talk about the significance of that in a second here. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel, too many, too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh, store cities. You get the idea. So they're totally enslaved. Then their children are commanded to be murdered. Their sons are commanded to be murdered and God has to work in this. And it's under that, those circumstances that Moses is born and Moses, his life is spared after he's three months old. His life is spared by virtue of the fact that his mom puts him in an ark. Now I know in the English translation it says basket, but in Hebrew it's the same word that's used for an ark. And so we have a water rescue of, of a young infant who and while everybody else is being slaughtered all the other boys are being slaughtered and it sounds akin to uh you know one of the you know the opening chapters of the gospel of matthew where uh jesus is born and herod sends soldiers to 
kill all the um, the male children, you know, uh, two years and, and under in in Bethlehem. The, the the connections back to Christ are shocking if you think about it. And let me show you something else here. This is kind of a fun thing to kind of point out. Pharaohs were known for wearing what? All right, let me let me show you. So this is uh, this is the head the headdress of King Tut. Although this goon over here, <laughs> you know, sorry, I didn't mean to have, have the goofy guy in there as well. Here we go. This is a little more respectable. That's the uh, the that death mask of King Tut. And you'll note that pharaohs wore, you know, a headdress that made them look like what? A snake, you know, a, a python. And, and so that's kind of the point. So if you were to think about it in the types and shadows, the people of God are born in slavery under a false god king, a pharaoh, who wears a snake hat, which means that Pharaoh is a stand-in for the devil. And the entire Exodus itself is a story of God delivering his people out of slavery and under the dominion of a false murderous God King who wears a snake hat, who is a stand-in for the devil. And that's the idea. The Exodus is our story. It's not merely the story of the children of Israel. It's the big type and shadow of our salvation. So each and every one of us, scripture describes as having been born under the dominion of darkness, and Christ is exodusing us, if you would. He's delivered us from the dominion of darkness. He, We've been baptized, uh-huh, baptism. You'll note that the children of Israel, they cross the Red Sea, and that in, in the New Testament is described as a baptism. And after their baptism, they spend basically uh, one adult lifetime in the wilderness before entering the promised land. You see, you see how this all works out. In the promised land, according to uh, Hebrews 11, in fact, let me do this real quick, uh, talking about what the real promised land is, the promised land is not a postage stamp size piece of property in the Middle East. That, that's not what it is at all. Um, the promised land is something else, okay? So in Hebrews 11, it says, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that, was, that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, and by faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Whose designer and builder is God. Does that sound like a city that uh, has ever existed in human history or exists now? No. And and so then you'll note then... um, Verse 13, all of these then died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledging, acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who thus speak make it clear they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city." So the promised land, the promised land is the new heaven and the new earth. And so the Exodus is a type and shadow story of our story of salvation. We need to be delivered from the dominion of darkness, from under the power of God and uh, not God, the power of the devil. And God is, is delivering and saving us. And then you'll note then that the 10 plagues that occur in Egypt at the hand of Moses, God raises up Moses for the purpose of bringing 
bringing his his people to the promised land that uh, that 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 Moses, you know, is kind of like Christ in that sense. And that these 10 plagues, then they make a reappearance in the book of Revelation. And there's a reason for that. That's the signal. Listen, pay attention. The reason why those same plagues are showing up is because Jesus is exodusing us and bringing us to the real promised land. Even Abraham didn't live in the land of promise. He only greeted it from afar. And he was looking for the city whose foundations and builder is God. That's the whole point. So all of that being said, just taking one of the plagues and then doing what Tavner Smith is going to do with it just shows you do not understand like basic understandings of how to rightly understand the Bible. You, you, you don't know what the big picture is. The big picture is it's all about Christ and what he's doing to save us. And the Exodus is another one of these big block ways of have really kind of making sense of the whole scripture itself. So all of that being said, let's come back to Tavner Smith and here we go. But the magicians were able to do the same thing too with their magic. That confused me a little bit. I said, how's it a miracle if the magician, magician can do it too? I feel like the Lord told me the miracle wasn't in making. Uh, see, the, the, the Lord told you. See, now, uh, Tabner claims that he has direct conversational uh, revelation from God. Big red flag. You have a pastor who's talking like this. Run, run. He's not hearing the voice of God. He's either or he's, uh, well, hearing the voice of demons. You, you see what I'm saying here? Listen again. A magician, magician can do it, too. I feel like the Lord told me the miracle wasn't in making the frogs come, it was in making them leave. Oh, woo. and there's another red flag. He uses what's called a bullpen. All right, you're sitting there going, why are there people that you can hear going, ooh, ah? It's real simple because there are people volunteering to do that job. Their job is to sit in the front rows and basically fawn over the pastor and go, ooh, and ah, whenever he says something that's supposed to be profound or like deep or insightful. And this is a form of, what is this? Manipulation. And if your pastor is manipulating you to basically create the false impression that he's really bringing it, then you're dealing with a wolf. That's how abusers behave. Wow. And as I read, the magicians couldn't make them leave. They could only make them come. Wow. <laughs> the enemy can only make your problems start. He never makes them stop. Wow. That's a message in that right there. No, there isn't. They too caused the frogs to come out of the land. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and he begged, plead with the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people. And I will let your people go so they can offer sacrifices to the Lord. And then Moses, this is what Moses says to him. Okay, you set the time, Pharaoh. I'll get these frogs out of here. I know they're in your food. I know they're in your, your bed. I know they're all over you. I know it's nasty. I know they stink. I know they're... And by the way, with each of the plagues... Um, there was a false deity of the Egyptians that was being judged. Uh, you know, so, you know, if you were to like Google this, you know, uh, in fact, let me, let me do this. So let me, let me just do it like this one. Um, 
Uh, Exodus, Exodus, plagues, uh, judgment, gods of Egypt, A-G-Y-P-T. All right. I know there are resources out there that discuss these things. All right. Ten plagues for ten Egyptian gods and goddesses. All right, let's see what where this takes us. Let's see if they kind of, yeah, they, they kind of bear this out. So this is one of those examples then. So each and every one of the plagues of Egypt basically is a judgment that shows the false gods of Egypt that they don't exist. God is, the one true God is exercising power over them. So uh, the Egyptian god was a water bearer, Hapi, uh, and the Egyptian plague, water turned to blood. And then Heket, Egyptian goddess of fertility, water renewal, Heket, the Egyptian goddess had the head of a frog. All right, so Heket here is being judged by God. And, and so you'll note that, you know, a careful reading and an understanding of what's going on here is that the real God, Yahweh, is judging the false gods that are being worshipped in Egypt. And at the kind of the top of the heap is Pharaoh, the false god king who wears a snake hat. Again, a stand-in for the devil. So it is... Um, Tavner showing that he has any understanding of this? No. He's getting his theology from a really hokey, kitschy song. Give me one more night. Just one more night. Give me one more night with them frogs. Yeah, that's what's going on here. Slimy, I know they're diseased. I know they're smelling. I know everything. You tell me when you want them to go. You set the time. Tell me when you want me to pray for you and your officials and your people. Then you and your house will be rid of the frogs and they will remain only in the Nile River. And here's Pharaoh's answer. Do it tomorrow. <laughs> All right, Moses replied. So predictable. It shows he, he has no proper understanding of the scriptures at all. You can see where this is going. It will be as you have said. And then you will know there is no one like the Lord our God. Here it comes. Jesus, take your word. Wreck our lives. May we never be the same in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody said amen. Does wreck your life mean you're praying that Christ would bring you to repentance and show you that you are absolutely unskilled when it comes to handling God's word and therefore disqualified from even being a pastor? Is that what you're hoping? I want to preach to you on this thought. Here it comes. Taking the leap. <laughs> oh, no. A, 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 a frog joke here. Taking the leap. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's all right. This, yeah. You know, I asked the frog over there, you know, how, how deep is that crick? And he said, knee deep. Yeah. yeah. Taking the leap. What a wild story. I mean, for real. You're Pharaoh. You lead an entire nation. You're the king, which means you don't live like everybody else lives with their dirt floors and huts and all the things. You're in a palace that's built for you. You're getting food prepared for you. You, get, you sit at tables. You live a life that nobody else lives. And here comes this plague of frogs. Now the place. <laughs> Out of nowhere, man. There I was minding my own business in the palace. and Boom. There were frogs everywhere. Ah, <laughs> uh, this is so bad. Yeah, you, you'll note then that uh, 
after Moses is drawn out of the Nile, that uh, you know he ends up murdering an Egyptian, and then he uh, he ends up on on Egypt's most wanted list. He flees to Midian, uh, gets married, and spends forty years of his life living in in Midian as a shepherd. Uh, and 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 then we see this. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jephro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness. Came to Horeb, the mountain of God. By the way, this is in Saudi Arabia, not Egypt. And the angel of Yahweh appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, a bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see with this great sight why the bush is not burned. And then when Yahweh saw that he turned aside to see God, uh, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. He said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And Yahweh said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the land, out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said, God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, Moses goes on and he, he expresses great hesitancy. In fact, no desire whatsoever to do this. He says, send somebody else. And as part of this dialogue, Moses asks God what his name is. And God says that his name is I am. That's the name that he's supposed to give. And then as the story then progresses, Moses finally decides that he's going to obey God. He and Aaron head back to Egypt and they start having showdowns with Pharaoh. And, you know, Moses and Aaron telling Pharaoh, Yahweh says, let my people go. All right. So it like in, in Exodus 6, Yahweh said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh for with a strong hand, he will send them out with a strong hand. He will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God almighty. But by my, uh, by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, a land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I've heard the groanings of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Great text, right? So Yahweh said to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said, Yahweh, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? I am of, of uncircumcised lips. But Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about, the, about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And so then it goes on to list the names of those who are in charge of the different clans and of the tribes of Israel. And then in chapter 7, in 
And Yahweh said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. By great acts of judgment, the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. So then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a servant. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as Yahweh commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers and they, and they the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staff. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as Yahweh had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out in the, uh, to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him. Take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent and you shall say to him, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says Yahweh. By this you shall know that I am Yahweh. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn to blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And Yahweh said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff, stretch out your hand over the waters, over the rivers, over their canals, and their ponds, and their pools of water, so that they may become blood, and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and in the vessels of stone. So you get the idea here. When you put this back in context, this is a story that needs to be told rightly. And Tavner here is like, you know, so after reading portions of Exodus 8 out of context, he, he, you know, he sets up the explanation by talking about, yeah, you know, Pharaoh, he lives in a palace and he's rich and stuff and all this kind of thing. Hello? <laughs> this is in the context of God having a showdown with him and uh, you seem to be oblivious to that. Where you live makes you just like everybody else because it's dirty like everybody else. It's got frogs like everybody else. It's in your food. It's on your table. Cause it's, right, I'm backing this up because this is this is nuts. This bill for you're getting food prepared for you. You get you sit at tables. You live a life that nobody else lives. Yeah. And here comes this plague of frogs. Now the plague out of nowhere, except for Moses is the one. Moses is an Aaron. It's where you live makes you just like everybody else because it's dirty like everybody else. It's got frogs like everybody else. It's in your food. It's on your table. It's in your bed. It's on, on you, all around you, frogs everywhere. And God comes through Moses and says, I am giving you the opportunity right now to remove all of this out of your life. You have... <laughs> What? Blammo, there's frogs everywhere. Moses shows up and says, I'm here. And God is telling you that uh, we're part of the frog removal ministry. And you can have all these frogs right out of your life. And all you got to do is ask Jesus into your heart. <laughs> Adventures in missing the point. Now, here. to remove all of this out of your life, 
You have the say over it. So note the frogs now are a, um, you know, they they symbolize, you know, like bad things in your life that are ca- creating bad outcomes. I'm going to back this up again so you can hear it in context. And says, I am giving you the opportunity right now to remove all of this out of your life. You have the say over it. And Pharaoh, standing in the presence of God, in front of the messenger of God, say, Yeah, and the frogs are a judgment of God. And I have come with the answer to remove all the mess from around you. Let me know when you want it to happen. Looks back at him and says, make sure you do it. But do it tomorrow. Give me one more night, just one more night. Give me one more night with them frogs. <laughs> this is so bad. Just give me one more night with the frogs. Told ya. The frogs are not a symbol of like difficulties in your life. They literally are a judgment of God against the false god king Pharaoh, who's a stand-in for Satan, and the false one of the false fertility deities of the Egyptians. Just give me one more afternoon with them all in my food. Just give me one more day in my mess. Just give me one more day to try to figure this out myself. So I don't have to submit to your God. What? Now, I know all of y'all are looking at me. You need to pay your uh, your uh, manipulators there in the, the bullpen. You need to pay them a little bit more money. They're, they're, they're not really doing their job very well. Like Pharaoh is an idiot. All of y'all laugh. All of y'all say, oh, could he, why would he ever do that? But I just came under the power and authority of God to tell everybody in yeah, so here's the thing. There's another, so there's another red flag. I mean, not only can this guy not handle a biblical text, claims that he has direct revelation, conversational revelation from God, he now just declared for himself, I just came under this thing that, uh, you know, what's the Like Pharaoh is an idiot. All of y'all, all of y'all said. Watch this. This is total manipulation. Oh, could he, why would he ever do that? But I just came under the power and authority of God to. Really, he just came under the power and authority of God? Duh. Heavenly sound brain, sound membrane portal open up? What, what, are, what, are, what are you talking about? You see, when somebody's talking like this, they are completely a manipulator. To tell everybody in here that when it comes to submitting our life into community, we're all Pharaoh. Yeah. When it comes to submitting our life under community, what are you talking about? What What is the cash value of the phrase that I need to submit my life under community? <clears throat> I know I'm supposed to be moving along to all our values in this series until earth looks like heaven because that's who we are as Venue Church and we're trying to get a grasp of like what that even means. If we become a people that we, we come together and we build this culture that changes the world that we do lead the greatest move of God the face of the earth has ever seen and we... <laughs> so uh, Venue Church is going to lead the greatest move of God that anybody's ever seen. Delusions of grandeur much? Do you, uh, you know, uh, Tavner, huh? 
This is utterly nuts. This guy is, if he's not a full-blown cult leader, he is right on the line. Make earth look like heaven. What does that even mean? How do we, what do we look like as we live our Christian lives out? Yeah, what are those frogs we need to get rid of today instead of tomorrow? We've talked about several values, but we've got into this one value that we do life together. What on earth does this have to do with Exodus? Nothing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so didn't take very long, did it? So I'm telling you. If you're attending this church or any churches where the pastors are doing this stuff and they can't rightly handle a biblical text to save their life, it doesn't matter if they have a super expensive, you know, you know, television thing behind them and, and, and a, like, oh man, the praise band that like would make Joel Osteen's praise band jealous. Run. You are not being discipled in scripture. You are not being a disciple of Jesus Christ. You are a disciple of your vision casting leader. And the stuff they preach has nothing whatsoever to do with what the Bible actually says. In fact, your life will have far more peace and you will have greater understanding of scripture, leaving a church like this and going and finding a church where the pastor is humble and faithful in exegeting and proclaiming what the word of God says has actually shown himself approved and shows skill at rightly handling the scriptures. Tabner Smith is an entertainer and a dangerous one at that because, you know, there's this stuff here that basically makes me say this guy is dangerous, really dangerous. He's shown himself to be manipulative, a liar and incapable of rightly handling biblical truth. You get the idea. So hopefully you found this helpful. If so, all the information on how you can share the video is down below in the description. And until next time, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.